0: Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at EarSports.com, a Paramount Podcast. I am Mike Casaza here on Thursday morning to get you ready for the latest West Virginia football game. Requiring the assistance, as always, from Chris Anderson. Chris, um, where is this going right now for West Virginia? Or do we not know until this game on Saturday? This, this kind of feels like for both teams like a fork in the road kind of a game. But it's also possible that maybe things are already heading somewhere for both of them, and it just continues Saturday. So I don't know. Do we have an idea where they're going, or are we waiting for them to
1: figure it out Saturday? I, I think we're waiting to figure it out, or at least I am. I, Our Oklahoma State guy asked me, like, hey, what's going to?" I said, what's going to happen this game? I said, I, this might be the most or least I've known about exactly what's going on with this team in years maybe forever in part because in part because of what happened in houston just because both sides of the ball, all three sides of the ball for that one game for that one week were so different from what they were for the first few weeks but they were also reminiscent of what they were last year so it was a case of are they back to what they were or is this a one game anomaly i don't think we can know that until we see it again this week
0: Every game important, obviously, for both these teams at this point. I would say collectively here, because they both share this in common, got off to good starts. You wouldn't think that necessarily when you look at what Oklahoma State did in the non conference, but still did go two and one, just had an embarrassing loss at home. But then to lose a game and then win two against ranked teams that are pretty good offensively, all of a sudden, four and two, two and one. West Virginia, same record, different route kind of staggers in a little bit right now, whereas maybe Oklahoma state swaggers in, but here's the part that I think makes this so important is that maybe Oklahoma state has figured out a few things and we can get into that because there, there have been some changes and this is more who they are and they're going to succeed because of that. And maybe West Virginia is good and just lost on a Hail Mary, but maybe West Virginia was showing signs that were exposed as the strong word, but might be the right word. Uh, on the road against Houston. But still, same records here. They play each other, and this is why it's critical. These are the two teams that play the four Big 12 newcomers. Um, Oklahoma State gets them all after West Virginia plus Oklahoma. West Virginia gets three of the four plus Baylor and Oklahoma. A lot of similarities the rest of the way. If we think that the schedule for West Virginia is malleable in the second half of the season, I don't know how you can argue that. Well, Oklahoma State has the same thing. Both these teams can't finish up and near the top. One of them is going to have to beat the other on Saturday, and this is why this is such a huge game for for a whole bunch of reasons. But just the fact right there that they have so much in common
1: and yet maybe so much unknown all at once. Funny you mentioned that in my Q and A with our Oklahoma State guys, like, hey, what, what's the expectations for the rest of the year? And he started rattling off the teams. I was like, that's no, that's that's WVU's schedule. Rest of the way, what are you talking about? But had the same mindset of it's very winnable the rest of the way. And all of a sudden, 8-4 and looks realistic. I mean, it it was remarkable. The answer he gave was so similar to some of the answers that we've given about WVU's rest of the way, given the schedule and and what they could potentially do down the road. What, on your analysis, has changed for Oklahoma State apart from winning? What do you mean? Like how... West Virginia can do it yeah like what has
0: Oklahoma State done in back-to-back games here to go from holy cow lost to South Alabama and Iowa State to holy cow upset Kansas State and Kansas
1: I mean I'm just staring squarely at Ollie Gordon the running back like they just went to him and that was it like it's remarkable to look at some of the stats and we'll go over in a minute but he just became the the focal point of their offense they they put the offense on his shoulders and let him carry it. Quarterback, they stop screwing around and rotating quarterbacks around. Um, I, I, this might be one of those things that comes back to bite you and somebody will play this soundbite, you know, three days from now. But Alan Bowman is not the guy that you're really worried about beating you necessarily. But, you know, once you get a, a more focused uh, idea quarterback and then you get a more focused offense where you just ride your running back, that's really what changed for me. Yeah, like
0: Mike Gundy, too cute by half, with playing three quarterbacks in each of the first three games. And Vanya was saying, you know what, Bowman's the best of the three. But also, they just they've kept things pretty simple by turning around and handing it off and not going with a exotic timeshare running back. Here's a guy who's you know six two two fifteen and can run and also catch, and they're using him. Um, he's coming off a game, um, one hundred and eighty plus yards rushing, one hundred and fifteen plus yards receiving. That hasn't happened in the FBS in seven years. Pretty good. He's the only 100-100 guy in the FBS this year. Um, I don't know if last week's game is an outlier in the fact that it doesn't happen a whole lot. That does make it seem like that, but he's capable of it. They do throw him the ball, but he's also on a roll in the past three games. So I guess we can just start here, Chris, because it does seem like the running games on both sides and the run defenses are going to be um, probably topics of our conversation, but also focal points for the game. Let's start with Oklahoma State's offense, and I would assume with Gordon. Three straight impressive games against Big 12 defenses here. Not necessarily a surprise, but this, this sophomore does seem like he's gotten into a groove because he's gotten the ball.
1: Yeah, and we mentioned some of the numbers there. The ones that really stood out to me, there were, there were a couple things. First was the yards after contact. Now, these numbers I'm about to spit out here are rushing only, so they don't even include the yards after contact on some of those receiving yards that you mentioned with the 115 last game but he started three games and 67 percent two-thirds of his yards come after contact including i believe the number was like 80 some percent in the most recent game or, or his first game as a starter excuse me and i mean he's nearly averaging 100 yards per game after contact right now um the three weeks that i'm talking about week four week six week seven you pare it down to just those three weeks and compare it to the rest of the country, the rest of Power 5 football, number one in all of Power 5 football in yards after contact when rushing the ball. Um, WV is going to have to tackle, like, I think, is, is the shorter way of saying this.
0: On runs of 15 yards or more this year, pretty healthy run, right? Um, 55% of his yardage for the season comes on a runs of 15 yards or more so when he gets the ball he goes and he keeps going typically so um, that's that's an unusually large number especially kind of this deep into the season and for someone who's handled it as much as he has um, past three games running 18 21 29 carries after seven nine and three in the first three what was going on there right but also 121 136 168 and the averages are all healthy between 5.8 and 6.7. Really good, but the receiving thing is also pretty interesting too. Uh, six for one sixteen last game. Before that, had eleven for sixty four yards. So they would throw it to him. He wasn't as effective, but he just got loose against Kansas in that defense last week, which seems to be pretty inviting for people. Don't want to make a big deal out of it. I don't think you. I don't think you assume you're going to get one sixteen receiving, one sixty eight rushing every game. But he is a guy that can turn eighteen carries into one hundred and twenty yards, as he's done in three straight games. And they seem like they have a tell as far as where they'd like to go. I'm assuming you looked into this. You can't help but notice it. But uh, he seems like he certainly prefers the left side, and in particular, getting around the left corner. He's about half and half
1: zone power, but he loves the left side of that line of scrimmage. Yeah, that was over a left tackle and left in with Dalton Cooper, uh, 27 times for 240 yards. And I believe the other um, – so that's about 13 yards per carry. That That seems healthy. Mm. uh, and then basically everywhere else was was at sixty carries and averaging about five yards per carry, slightly less than five yards per carry. So yeah, he loves to get out left, get out wide on these runs. and some of that is, you mentioned the gap and zone um stuff. This is a guy. oh yeah, I'm looking this right. um slightly more gap than zone, but most recently when he's been starting, these last three weeks, he is there. It is the third most gap runs in the entire country <laughs> during his three starts. And for those who don't know, so if you're trying to that are listening, try to picture this in your head. What a what a gap run is. What is this? And that's typically if they're going to the left side, that means your offensive line is basically if you're standing behind the quarterback, walking to the right, walking down and to the right, and then somebody's pulling like a guard or whatever. Tight end from the from the right side over to the left, kick out block right there. So and it's supposed to open up that gap for you to run through. And apparently, he's had a lot of success with that so far this year. Also on the left side, like they always had that cowboy back who is like a
0: fullback but is very tall. Not so much this year. Quentin Stewart plays a bunch. He has a good grade for their their blocking. Um, but Jaden Bray is their wide receiver on the left side. And that guy makes plays as a blocker. Like he's like 6'2, and, and he gets after people too. And you could see him coming in, cracking down on people. He will get in the slot and block. He'll keep the cornerback outside. But they use him quite a bit. And again, almost exclusively on the left side. If he's in the slot, it's on the left side. This is going left. This is going left. That's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting thing because Lee Koba is one of the better run stoppers in the Big 12. He's been playing a lot of will. Will. They use that tight end on the left side. Will they try to do something to keep him away from there because um, that that seems to be what they want to do? It's not a one-man gang on offense. They do have other running backs, but Jaden Nixon, for example, a different guy than Gordon. Gordon's just a big, strong, fast guy that West Virginia got to look at last year, and he's just better now. No idea why he wasn't uh, used as often in the first three games, but unapologetic since then because he's been very good and the offense has been pretty good as well. Um, some of their splits are, are telling that we can get into, but I think a lot of people are going to say that, Wow, it's simply Gordon, but they've settled on Bowman, too. And again, I don't I don't know why Rangel and the uh, younger Gundy were options. It just seems like that while Bowman doesn't scare you, he does seem like he has the best tools and the most experience of those guys. And does seem like he's more capable than the others of lifting up a pretty inexperienced group of receivers. They lost a bunch in the portal. Um, they do bring back Brendan Presley, but everybody else has either missed time or is young.
1: Yeah, Bowman's one of those guys who he's it, it, hard to describe because, yeah, you're right, he's got all the tools. He's not going to be the guy that completely sinks your season, but you also notice that when he left Texas Tech and when he left Michigan, no one was too upset in Lubbock or Ann Arbor. Um, he's fine. He's decent. Um, he He had a nice game last game against Kansas. That was his best game, but as you know, statistically his best game. But as you noted, a chunk of those yards were him just dumping it off to the running back and letting Gordon do a bunch of work. But there's a reason that these teams wanted him. There's a reason Tech wanted him out of a high school. There's a reason Michigan wanted him in the transfer portal. There's a reason Oklahoma State wanted him in the transfer portal a second time. And that's because he's got the physical tools, like you said. So there is this potential. There is this kind of lurking um, possibility him doing something special uh so you always have to be wary of that but we'll see again i think most of my focus is on gordon but hey the last time west virginia did that where they put all the focus on the one game was penn state and penn state quarterback proved them wrong uh alan bowman has played in morgantown before
0: mm-hmm. um unfortunate uh true freshman 9 of 20 collapsed lung in that game um Played three games after that. He missed one game, three games after that, and then had a a kind of recurrence. But what I remember, I remember two things in that game. One, West Virginia was taken aback by his performance up to that point. He had a 600-yard game, Chris. Uh, He's the only active FBS player with a 600-yard game right now. But that was around some other pretty good performances. uh, 272, 282, 397 um and then the 605 game but he comes into West Virginia and all of a sudden looks like Texas Tech has their latest gunslinger and at that point he'd played pretty well 10 touchdowns two picks averaging about 400 yards a game passing gets hurt against West Virginia and then just never the same since then um missed four of the final seven games that year played three got hurt again in 2019 missed the final uh nine games of that year transfers in 21 play a whole lot of Michigan. They're playing pretty good football that year, uh, those two years, I guess. And then just ends up at Oklahoma State, which is kind of a weird thing. They were just trying to find players at this point. And you'd almost forgotten about him, too. Uh, the other thing I remember um, from West Virginia's coaches is he will pass the ball to the right. So they run the ball to the left, and he passes the ball to the right. And I looked at it. That has not deviated very much, including deep right. Uh, he does not throw a very good deep ball. That's not something they do very well very often. Kind of striking, actually, but his right left splits are pretty telling and two for 13 on the deep right pocket of the field. I wonder what type of scouting you can do off of that. And I wonder, if there's any type of like trend busters. Do they just start running the ball left and throwing it right as they always do. Or do they start off, you know, running it right and throwing it left and just try to see if they can spin West Virginia's top in a different direction.
1: It'd be interesting, especially if West Virginia, you know, sticks to what they've been doing in the, in the secondary. Cause again, I don't think, This game against Houston, you know, the the stats are bad. The play was bad. But it looked like the scheme was right. Like, I know people were upset that West Virginia wasn't blitzing Donovan Smith more, but go back and look. Donovan Smith was excellent when the West Virginia blitzed. So West Virginia stopped blitzing. Now, he ended up picking them apart a little bit even then. But I think a lot of that was on, you know, the secondary. Simply, they were in the right spots, which is what's probably got to be so frustrating for the coaches. they just weren't making plays. So do they make the play? I don't know if you can just like kind of scheme them to make plays now um, or how they're going to handle this against Alan Bowman, especially if he's going to be so telling in where he's throwing. What about their offensive line there? They they
0: seem like they've settled into just six players. They they didn't didn't really play different people, but maybe they've gotten better, but they've certainly focused in. They only really rotate uh, tackles. And I'm not sure it's by need or by by desire or whatever there, but is it just the left side? Is it the right side isn't good, or is that just a Gordon thing where he just likes to go that way and he pokes his way and, and just happens to go around the left side?
1: Well, our Oklahoma State guy says that, that Dalton Cooper, who's the starting left tackle, is is the man. Like he he is their best lineman right now. He has been the most pleasant surprise, or at least their best, um, excuse me, uh, best incoming transfer, best first year transfer guy. So I think that's a big reason of uh for it. But also, there were at right tackle. Uh, now, is it Snyderman? I think was the was the guy's name. He started the first couple of games, got hurt, missed a couple of games. They slid in somebody else. He did not do well. But Snyderman is back. Um, I believe he started last game, and so some injuries and in question marks at right tackle. So, like you said, it it was that because of necessity. Was that because of that's where they're best, or maybe they? kind of switch back and go more to the right now that they have a healthy offensive line. I'm not sure. Again, trend busting might be important there too. Um,
0: Defensively for West Virginia, I don't know. Like it's the 16 for 16 to six in my head. It's really hard to think that you can be effective if you're not doing anything to disrupt the quarterback. They didn't blitz very much. They were certainly not like protecting a lead and playing prevent defense because that was quickly turning into a shootout. And by the way, they trailed by 11. What is the, I don't know, it's the cough syrup here, I guess, before this has like a full-blown flu. Like, how do they nip this in the bud and make sure that, you know, this doesn't turn into two times where a quarterback gets the better and that they don't get eaten up by Ollie Gordon and all of a sudden some timely passes by Bowman. Um Oklahoma State has that offensive gear. They've gotten a lot better in their, their their past couple of games, and I'm sure that there's a certain aspect of their locker and they're probably rubbing their hands together and saying, I like the looks of this West Virginia defense. How does West Virginia's defense keep that from becoming a reality? Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
1: might be the toughest question. It's something that I brought up in the three keys before the Houston game, but something that didn't happen and then you addressed in the post game, And that was talked about how in the five previous or the four previous games against FBS opponents, a different player from a different position had led what WVU and pressures each and every game. That's, mm-hmm. that's creativity. That's versatility. That comes from the coaching staff that comes from the personnel. And then there's injuries. Then Lathan's out. Then Burks is out. Then you got to move Floyd here. You got to do move. Thoba here you got to move cutter in change all of this. And that was something, and, and you know, they didn't get pressure against Houston. They simply did not. And you brought it up in the post game. I th- think your term was was handcuffed. They were handcuffed to the personnel they had, um, in a few different situations. I mean, I think obviously the hail mary one was one, but also with getting pressure. And if you are handcuffed with your personnel or lack of, how are you supposed to get creative? How are you supposed to bring pressure from a bunch of different angles and different directions to confuse the offense and and disrupt the quarterback? Damien. Hey, I'm not the one getting paid six figures seven figures to do to figure that out but it, it's not an easy job and that, and that's why they're getting paid those big bucks to figure that out because that's that's going to be a tough one because that trend stopped very abruptly against Houston and as we've noted with a few things here there's nobody standing there on the horizon getting ready to come in and make things better unless you know you're counting on Burks to be a hundred percent and then maybe you can move Floyd around a little bit and get creative with him like they did a couple games ago, but that's about it right now.
0: Yeah, so I've talked to some folks the past couple of days, Sunday in particular, and the one thing that was striking about that game was that West Virginia, which doesn't do a lot of disguising, was very stationary. And when you think about that, they didn't have Floyd to bounce around in different positions and have him coming from this angle and this depth and this position. They had him in one safety spot. Um, They played their two safeties and their two corners every snap. Uh, They probably couldn't or didn't want to do a whole lot with Cutter. And if your Blitzer is one guy, maybe two if you count the Bandit, Koba and Bartlett slash Bradley, I don't want to say predictable because you can do some things there, but it's it's less unpredictable. How's that? Because you only have a couple of pieces you can move. And I wonder if they don't trust Floyd to move around or trust Floyd and Wilson to move around very much. But the, the takeaway was that West Virginia's defense has kind of showed the same picture over and over and over and then couldn't do anything to either disguise before or disrupt after the snap. And that's how a quarterback ends up going. 16 for 16. They've got to do something like that. Trouble is that they just haven't turned the ball over on Oklahoma State side. They don't fumble it. They don't put the ball in danger. They are plus five, five zero in turnovers in their past two games, both wins. And if you look at this, their big 12 stats and their non-conference stats, everything is different. Scoring, total offense, yards per play, yards per rush, yards per pass attempt, rushing offense, rushing defense. Not just upgrades, Chris, but significant upgrades against harder competition. I wonder if it just isn't a thing as like they just bombed the South Alabama game, which South Alabama doesn't look like they're terrible, but just had a terrible game they were not ready for. And, and just you know, what happens against a team that is still coming together with so many new parts like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you take one like that, you lose one where you play a little bit better, you hit a bye, and you come back and you're averaging a lot better on the offensive side per game, per snap, per rush or pass. It seems like that's helped a whole lot. It may be coincided with some changes that explain it, but maybe part of that cha- making the changes is finding out what their best rhythm is and. That could be interesting. Um, That said, they've kind of done a number defensively in the past couple of teams, but in different ways, too. If you just look at the past two games as we switch sides of the ball here to Oklahoma State's defense against West Virginia's offense, 220 yards rushing allowed against Oklahoma State, excuse me, against Kansas State. That has Will Howard, the running back, playing quarterback, going for 104 yards. The backup there um, that likes to run around that may actually start and play this week Didn't even play. So it's not like they had some gadget that got the better of Oklahoma State's defense. They play Kansas this week, this past week. You figure Kansas top six rushing offense in the country. They see Kansas State go crazy. They say, we can do that. They end up with 90 yards rushing. Their quarterback, Jason Bean, ended up with zero because of sacks. However, Chris, he passed for 410 yards and five touchdowns, all of 30 yards or more who or what is Oklahoma State's defense here?
1: No idea. <laughs> right, exactly. It, 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 I mean, that was, uh, it, just like I said, just rattling off the stats. Like, sometimes stats can be deceiving, but in this case they're not. And and it's very confusing about what Oklahoma State can and cannot do. By the sounds of it, it sounds like a perfect type of defense for West Virginia to face right now. It's like, hey, they really struggle with the run game and a running quarterback, or at least a team that has a running quarterback. And they also really struggle against a team that loves to take deep shots. Does that sound like any team you saw last week, Mike? One night Just only the- or <laughs>
0: one step in the right direction? I don't know. But, yes, the the description does seem familiar in the front of my brain.
1: Yeah, so I think there is potential there um, for West Virginia to try to take advantage of that. Because this could be a game where, if you told me afterwards that Garrett Green threw for... 280 yards and rushed for 100 and accounted for five total touchdowns, I'd believe it. Like, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for me, um, given, again, this matchup and the potential for him to do that, especially if he tries to do... I mean, you saw the numbers he put up last game, and that was basically just a half. Like, the first half, they were not done in it like they were um, in the second half. If they kind of let loose in the entire game, it's one where I think he could really take off but there's one huge question mark, Mike, and it was something you wrote about earlier this week or, yeah, after the game against uh, Houston. Okay. Devin Carter in the slot. Um, big change, and it seems to be a very, you know, comfortable change for Carter, comfortable change for Green, but is that a great matchup against Oklahoma State? The numbers say maybe not, kind of depending on who's in coverage. And you look at it, if they can get Carter on a safety and Trey Rucker, when he is in coverage in the slot, opposing slot receivers are averaging twelve and a half yards per attempt, per attempt, per throw from the quarterback with three touchdowns, no interceptions. If anyone else on the team is covering the slot, anyone else that is down to six point nine yards per attempt with five interceptions so there is certainly a you know keep talking about the glowing neon signs over trey rucker's head but i mean i don't know if you could sit there and look for that at the snap like as you're under center getting ready to or not under center but behind center getting ready to snap the ball but that is a mismatch that you might be able to take advantage of in the slot yeah i also want to give it a, an apology
0: i don't know maybe i'd sure apology whatever that I kind of thought one of the ideas, the 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 benefit, the brilliance, whatever you want to call it, of moving Carter into the slot was that he wasn't gonna to have to do a lot of blocking. He blocked really well. <laughs> like I, I just i I just thought in my head, like, okay, here's a guy who maybe can't hold the perimeter or set an edge. You can move him away from the action, have him decoy it, whatever. Someone's gotta chase him. But he threw himself around and went in there and made some plays and like got some things going. I mean, he's not perfect, but that's kind of a tough expectation for someone there. But if you think it's sometimes that he got isolated, you know, social media hasn't been necessarily kind to him for some of the things that we've seen, but he did some things there. The other part about that is, is that it gets him and Traylon Ray on the field. It kind of, it puts, um, I don't know, it puts Preston Fox on the outside now. He's not an inside guy anymore. And if you heard Neil Brown talk about it, there's lots of been smaller guys. And all of a sudden you throw Carter in there. He's bigger. he's kind he's of a tight end ish, I guess, but. just the way they can use him and get him running around in space, pulling away from people at the snap is important. Um, And I I charted this, Chris, the top three slot defenders for Oklahoma State, 27 completions on 44 attempts, 426 yards, five touchdowns. You have to manipulate that. And it it could be one of the two safeties. It could be their rover. Uh, They've had some issues back there too. And again, five touchdown passes of 30 yards or more. I know you can sell out and stop the run, but you got to be at least somewhat cognizant of the pass. And it didn't seem like they were. And then they chased a bunch in that game. Reading the post game, this is both from the Kansas side and definitely the Oklahoma State side. They were shocked that Kansas came out throwing the ball. Leads me to this, Chris. You are West Virginia. You are a running team. You should have at least 80% of your offensive line back. Doesn't seem like Tomas Remock is near coming back. They expect Wyatt Milan back. Okay. You can live certainly with Yates at left guard and Jaquay Hubbard at right guard. You're fine. It's okay. Those are experienced guys. However, you just passed for 391 yards and made plays and you had to. Also left some opportunities out there. So that could be more, you know. Are you coming out balanced? Are you coming out establishing the run and kind of hoping to pop some play action, which did happen last week, six for 12? Or are you chucking it? because you figure that they're going to probably try to stop your run. I, I don't know where they go. This is fascinating to me because those first 15, 20 plays at West Virginia Scripps typically um, yardage wise successful, but they can set
1: quite a tenor right here with how they operate and what they choose. And my favorite is just going for it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's the smart play, um, especially given the potential weather conditions. I believe it's supposed to be, forties, low fifties, and in the midst of thirty six straight hours of rain, at least at last check. So it's gonna be a little bit ugly. Might have to take that into account when game planning. But I think being aggressive, selectively aggressive, I talked about it after the game. Like embrace the Skyler Howard offense of run, 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 chuck it, run, 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 chuck it. Um, use your quarterback's feet, use your quarterback's big arm. Uh, utilize your running backs and and we'll maybe we'll get into a little more on the running backs in a second. Hasn't been great, obviously, but I I think it's one where you can kind of. It's almost like the basketball strategy of, hey, go for layups and go for threes and nothing in between. And I think West Virginia's offense should kind of embrace that same mentality. Mm Hmm.
0: Oklahoma State's defense is kind of interesting. A first-year coordinator who came from, like, the depths of college football division, two guys successful. But you can tell when you watch him play that – this is my assumption, but knowing his background, but I think I can apply this. It may not be fair. But this is probably a guy who you know, didn't have, at the level he was coaching at, great positional talent. Didn't have the ideal people to run a certain scheme. But he figured out ways, put players in spots so they can be effective or scheme things up so you can be effective. So, for example, you know, they – They kind of have like a 6'4 rover who could be a receiver, could be a defensive back, but he's playing rover for them, which is that hybrid position. He runs around, he makes plays. not great in coverage though, but he can run around and cover people. He's 6'4. Kind of an interesting piece. But what they also do is they drop a bunch. You know, it's not unusual to see them just dropping everybody and playing the run of the pass with three. But like similar to like an Iowa State, you think you're going to have room to run, so you hand it off. That's your read or your check or whatever. And all of a sudden, there's five guys around the ball because they fly to it. So we've thought in the past with Oklahoma State, like that aggressive in-your-face man-to-man. They play a lot of man. It's not quite 50-50. But when they're in zone or even when they're in the man, they find ways to keep people looking at the ball. And when they've been good against the run, they've been good. When they've been bad, they've been bad. But I just see a guy who kind of has that less is more mentality where he's trying to do the most of what he has. He's got better players now. He's figuring out how to do it. Um, Just their past defense is kind of leaky. And that just makes me think that there's something there because Houston's past defense was kind of leaky. And they play more man than West Virginia expected. And now if you're going to play man at Oklahoma State, but you're going to have that drop mentality and you're going to be like, all right, we'll just rally to the ball. Well, can West Virginia, you know, hit runs, whatever, but how about short stuff? How about stuff that there's slots in the middle? Can the tight end get going? It just seems like it kind of it leans into some of the stuff that West Virginia wants to do offensively. It might not be deep shots because they're going to keep guys back, but you know, drive sustainers, first downs, things like that it could put him in a good position here, too. Um, go to the running game. Here we go again, Chris. How many running backs is enough? How many is too many? What's the right split? We're in Game 7 now, still talking about what's the rotation, what's the right number at running back. One, surprise or, or alarm you? And two, what's the answer?
1: It alarms me that they're still figuring out. It encourages me that, Joe Brown just flat out said, they're going to shorten the rotation. I mean, I oftentimes, ta- you know, a lot of things are coach speak, but oftentimes when he comes out and says something that definitively, it, it ends up happening. So I do think they're going to shorten that rotation. I do think that's for the best. Um, and they got to figure something out back there. That being said, last game was a lot on the offensive line. Like it, it, for the first few games, We have gone over all the stats about how it was on the running backs, about how the offensive line was blocking just as well as they were last year, but the running backs were not breaking tackles, plain and simple. Running backs are still not making tackles. Um, I'll get to that stat in a second. But I'm looking at C.J. Donaldson's rushing numbers from last game. He had 66, is that right? 66 rushing yards. Would you like to take a guess of how many of those 66 rushing yards were after contact? Um, Fifteen. Sixty. Really? Sixty of the 66 yards. And and, and exactly. I I love that. That's the perfect response because that was my response. Was, wait, I didn't think Donaldson was that. Like, you know, I, I mentioned after the game, like it was clear that he was better than the other running backs. But. It didn't stick in my head that he had broken a bunch of tackles in that game. He broke four missed, tack- or four missed tackles forced, which is meh for the, for the amount of carries he had. Pretty average. But 60 of his 66 yards happened after contact, which, if I'm doing this correctly, means he was met 0. 0.3 yards after the line of scrimmage by a defender. On average, like that, that can't happen. That's on the offensive line, yeah. so they got to figure that out. And again, we people are going to say, "Oh, yeah, well, they had to replace Milam in a rematch." Well, guess what? Nick Malone was excellent. I don't recall thinking about him the entire game um, at left tackle. I, I don't recall him missing tackle, I rec- or missing a block. I recall Zach Frazier missing some, Doug Nestor missing some, uh, Yates Hubbard do not recall one from Malone, So they got to figure something out, especially on the interior since that's where West Virginia likes to run. I, I think observers and participants were
0: surprised by how much trouble that Zach Frazier had. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe as bad a game as you've seen him play, which again, you say something like that and it's, it sounds sacrilege, but it's so surprising because he's not, he's not prone to that. But they had interior defensive linemen in who had good games and are good players like that. Um, and one quote player, um, Was all over, and he was shaded off the nose. He wasn't playing head up, but he gave the center trouble. I'd be very surprised if he had back-to-back bad games. And also, if you look at who had good games for Houston, again, it's their nose tackle, it's their left tackle on the inside here. Two good players who had great games. I just haven't played that well this year. Does Oklahoma State have anybody like that? Um, When you look at their PFF rankings for grades, their only regulars who play the interior defensive line are much further down. like 15th on the PFF scores just seem like that's going to be a hard thing for them to do. And that might bode well for the running game there too. Um,
1: We'll see right there.
0: Wild cards for you here on this side of the ball.
1: I still think it comes down to Donaldson. I think again, he, he averaged only 3.9 yards per carry, but 3.53 of that game um, after contact. So that's a positive sign for him. But again, this is a matchup that's, that's going to be tough. This is, A bad spot for West Virginia, at least the way it's trending for Oklahoma State and what West Virginia is is strong or weak at with that running game. Uh, WVU currently has a missed tackle force rate. The the percentage of missed tackles per rushes of 17%. -hmm. The rest of the Big 12, the other 13 teams, average 27%. So 10% more on average for the rest of the league than WVU right now. Meanwhile, Oklahoma State made some kind of changes after the first three games of the season because in the first three games of the season, in run defense alone, they had 13, 12, and 12 missed tackles on, from, from their defense, not their running guys, their defense. In the last three games, four, seven, four. So they've figured something out on that side. I mean, you're not, you're not just learning how to tackle halfway through the season or three games into the season. So no. they've changed something defensively. And, and it's made a difference.
0: Yeah, they've gotten their linebackers really good spots and kept people off them. Uh, Colin Oliver was like a hellraiser at defensive end. He's our linebacker now. Nick Martin, tons of tackles. Uh, 17 in the game earlier this season. Xavier Benson runs around, and they're keeping them clean. They can get a lot of stuff going on. And I don't know the exact numbers right now, but they're three of the more active stoppers when it comes to, like, run stops. And a lot of their actions come in the past three games. So that certainly helps. But, again, can they stay off the? Can the offensive line? Get up there on them. Can the defensive line get those linebackers clean? That's a key to their success because they can make plays when they are aligned. Here we go, Chris. 3.30 kickoff, Eh, 7.30 we're talking after the game, win or lose.
1: Who or what are we talking about to explain the outcome? In a win, I think we're talking about a 15 to 20 tackle Lee Coba game. But the key to victory for this one, C.J. Donaldson. I think this is the one where they stop with the 15 carries or whatever stuff, and it's a 20 to 25 carry performance. He goes for 100-plus and has two touchdowns if they win. Okay. Uh,
0: rainy day. Oklahoma State. Run your quarterback. Do we see Nico Marchio? Knock on wood. Not fair. I like the tight ends in this one, too. I wonder if, like, you can see some Cole Taylor in some advantageous spots against linebackers who might be gunning toward the run. Uh, Kansas State tight end had some good success against them, and he's been trending in the right way. People forget that they were moving him around before they were moving Devin Carter around. I'm going to coaching, Chris. Mike Gundy, I I don't know. This guy seems like he's elastic. Neil Brown has exercised some of that as well this year. It might be that Gundy is a step ahead overall, but also this season and getting things turned around. Maybe Neil Brown doesn't have to fall quite as far. You know, a 33 33, 7 loss to South Alabama at home, you know, that doesn't do a lot of wonders for you unless you make it work. Can Neil Brown make a Hail Mary loss work in his advantage, especially after saying his team wasn't as intense? Some coach here is going to have their team ready to go, probably. And some coach is going to make the right decisions in the halftime speeches or in a critical moment right there. It, it comes down to Jimmy and Joe's a bunch. I get that, but I would certainly watch the coaches here and see who can pull the strings we will be catching up after the game all the normal pregame stuff coming up on the website until then i am mike casaza and i'm chris anderson we will talk to you then cbs wednesday we have so many cool diverse people from different backgrounds different beliefs different upbringings and it just keeps growing